So I'd like to start with this lighthearted offering. Three Buddhist monks decided to practice meditation together. They sat by the edge of a lake and closed their eyes in concentration. Then suddenly, the first one stood up and said, I forgot my mat. He stepped miraculously onto the water in front of him and walked across the lake to his hut on the other side. When he returned, the second monk stood up and said, I forgot to put my underwear out to dry. (laughs) He too walked calmly across the water and returned the same way. The third monk watched the first two carefully in what he decided must be the test of his own abilities. Is your learning so superior to mine? I too can match any feat you too can perform, he declared loudly and rushed to the water's edge to walk across. He promptly fell into the deep water. Undeterred, the monk climbed out of the water and tried again, only to sink into the water. Yet again, he climbed out and yet again, he tried, each time sinking into the water. This went on for some time as the other two monks watched. After a while, the second monk turned to the first and said, do you think we should tell him where the stones are? Sometimes as I'm reflecting on a talk or starting to make some notes about a talk, it kind of feels as though really every talk is about the same thing, in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, they take different forms and those of us who are giving them, you know, have different, uh, find different expression. But in a way, They're always about turning toward or opening ourselves up to or letting go of what obstructs what you might call our natural radiance. What I mean by that is the, the openness and the ease of pure awareness that knowing quality of the mind that is totally responsive to life, all of it. So tonight, the angle that I'd like to take or the shape that I've chosen to give to that essence, that natural radiance, is forgiveness. I read that this story about a time when the Buddha was ill in his life, and he asked as a means of support that the monks sit with him uh, and chant the factors of awakening. 
and that he found that to be a form of nourishment, a form of uh, something that was healing, something that was strengthening to him in this time when his body was sick. I like that story because if the Buddha benefited from being reminded about certain qualities, certain wholesome states, surely we can also benefit. So I'll tell you a little bit of a personal story about how I chose this topic of forgiveness for this week. In my uh, new approach to uh, working with Dharma Talks, part of what I do is listen in my own experience, pay attention in my life, in my work, in my teaching, in my life at home, and see what's up. Just wait. I just wait for some piece of the teachings to feel like it's alive for me. So last week, um, after giving the Dharma talk, this is the true confession part of the story, Uh, I saw this very familiar pattern that's a painful one for me, inwardly. And it's so interesting that I should end up in this position doing this kind of work where I sit in front of people and talk because it's really not my (laughs) preferred means of communication. And part of what happens after I give a talk, and it's not related to the content at all, interestingly, I've looked at this a lot over the years, and I think I've decided it's something to do about just kind of being exposed, certain vulnerability in that. So sometimes what happens afterwards at night is what I call, what I've affectionately labeled the deep cringe. (laughs) And it's a form of self-judgment. And again, it doesn't come up for me with content at all. It's energetic. So I put myself out, you know, offer something. And then there's this cringe later that happens. It's just some old habit. And I've gotten to practice with it and really get familiar with it and, in a way, make peace with it. So it doesn't happen very much anymore. But last week, lo and behold, it happened. And there was at first this feeling of like, oh no, like I thought I was done with that. You know, as we often feel when we see some old familiar pattern. And so I was just kind of feeling the unpleasantness of it and just trying to notice, oh, this energy, you know, of that kind of judgmental, critical, harsh, kind of cringing energy. (laughs) And suddenly what came to mind was forgiveness. And honestly, it was a turning point just to remember, just to feel the meaning of the word. You know, here was this part of my mind thinking, oh, done with that pattern, doesn't need to be here, don't want it, you know, don't like it. And then forgiveness, here it is. This is what's happening. Can I accept it? So I landed on the topic, and I've been sort of holding it through the week. 
and feeling my way into it and noticing when some of you speak about it in your own experience. It's an interesting uh, topic and I think quite often for a lot of us there can be some resistance to it. And I think part of that is based on its different definitions, you know, the different meanings of the word. So I just want to sort of point those out and talk about the one that I'm uh, focused on here. There's a way in which to forgive can mean to grant pardon, you know, to absolve. That's not the meaning that I'm looking at here. So this isn't a talk about, you know, like presidential immunity. Is that what it's called? (laughs) When the president gets to sort of let people off the hook for things? I don't really understand that. (laughs) But that's not it. That's not what we're doing. It's not about condoning any actions. Actions that we've made, actions that have been made that we've suffered the consequences of. And I think that we get tripped up there when we think about this concept, this idea of forgiveness. So it's not about condoning, nor is it about being passive. And this is critical. There's a way in which, because forgiveness does mean on a certain level a form of acceptance, You know, again, we think, well, if we accept something, that means we're going to just allow it to happen. We'll look the other way, or, you know, we'll just lie down and let the world (laughs) walk over us. It's not that. It's not that at all. Rather, the meaning that I'm focusing on in forgiveness is about the inner work of not feeding reactivity, of not harboring resentment. So in other words, of letting go some in those places as we're able. So it's not about denying pain, not at all. Often, you know, as I just said in introducing this talk, practice or, you know, talks, it it all feels like we're just kind of letting go of what obstructs this natural radiance. But it's also that we cultivate positive qualities. You know, we cultivate, we practice being mindful, paying attention, acceptance. So I think forgiveness is another one of those very wholesome positive qualities that we can practice. So just as you listen to my words tonight, just let it be kind of an open question for yourself. Might you be able to experience some of the healing energy of forgiveness? What would that mean for you?
I really wanted to open the talk with a joke. (laughs) Because forgiveness can feel so hard. And so, um, in a way, kind of, it can feel dangerous to get near it. Like it might really stir stuff up. can be frightening. And this makes sense. Because really, to practice forgiveness means that we're facing our relationship to pain. We're really having to go there to feel it, to check it out. Sometimes, maybe uh, often, our reaction to pain is a kind of defending you know, uh, building up of walls, barriers, as a form of protection. In a way, maybe as a way of holding back painful experience. And this is good. This is actually a good survival mechanism, I think. It's useful. It's good that we know how to do that. It's just that as we mature in our lives and in our practice, we might see that it's become uh, a habit or that these walls that we've built up, these barriers that we've put up, maybe aren't really serving us so deeply anymore. Maybe they're actually uh, obstructing us at this point. In a way, a kind of hindrance to growing, to opening, to deepening. So we start, you know, just bringing in the skills from our mindfulness practice, really seeing what's there, seeing those walls, seeing those barriers, if they're there, seeing the patterns, seeing them more clearly, and then feeling what that feels like. So in a way, really entering into that experience of um, knowing what's true for us. And I think through mindfulness practice, through seeing clearly, through investigating, through feeling the repercussions of what's, what's happening, the identification starts to loosen. You know, we start to be able to, you know, in just FC, like me, with my pattern of the deep cringe. You know, at first I took it pretty personally. But over years of (laughs) practice, I got to be really familiar with it and kind of even friendly. You know, it was like, oh, there's that pattern. It wasn't quite so personal. And I think that it's, often a sort of, um, maybe even a byproduct of that quality of selflessness or the diminishment of the identification with something, that forgiveness can arise, that we can connect with it, or that it becomes possible.
But before those patterns loosen their grip, in order to even begin to consider what it would mean to forgive, we need to look at the aversion, at the reaction. So aversion's outward expressions, you know, the obvious ones of anger, rage, blame, resentment, all of the ways that we respond to the suffering that we experience in life, whether it's on a very simple, light level of, you know, the suffering of life's ordinary disappointments, or much deeper, you know, much deeper challenges, perhaps even very grave offenses, very difficult, very challenging things that happen to us as human beings on this planet. So I think as with the rest of practice, you know, we need to sort of take it slowly, go gradually, start where we are. And sometimes that means starting by noticing that our hearts are closed. And maybe forgiving ourselves that that's the case. What would that mean to feel those closed places, feel those areas where we can't open, and to forgive oneself? I think the form that forgiveness takes in those kinds of situations where we're opening to the closed places is patience. You know, steadiness. Staying with it. Allowing. Ajahn Sumedho said this, The way out of suffering, as the Buddha taught, is cessation. Freedom from suffering comes through allowing that which has arisen to cease. It is as simple as that. In order to allow anything to cease, we must not interfere with it or try to get rid of it we must allow it to go away. I don't know about you, but I forget about those other parts. You know, I get caught in those other parts. And sometimes it's quite a subtle layer of trying to get it to go away. You know, sometimes that can be kind of an underlying theme for our practice in general, even though maybe really subtle. I'll pay attention to you in order that you pass, (laughs) in order that you go away. It's a process of refinement, really, or purification. You know, we do our best, and maybe there's still that subtle desire that it go away on our agenda, (laughs) by our timing. 
So we practice. We practice allowing. We practice backing off. We practice just staying steady. We practice finding balance when it's really difficult what we're facing. There's a place for the energy in these uh, reactive states. You know, the energy of anger can be useful, the energy, (laughs) not the expression of anger. But the energy that's in that uh, reactivity actually can be used, you know, with a very clear seeing, a very direct knowing in the form of wisdom rather than an angry lashing out at life. So it can be put to good use. And again, this is where uh, it's evident that forgiveness doesn't mean that we lie down and let someone walk over us. We actually can address wrongs in the world, in our lives, and be very effective, more effective, I believe, when we're not ruled by anger. It doesn't mean that what is happening is right, that we're condoning it. So we can address it. We can seek to remedy the situation, to effect change in the world. But how effective are we if we're reactive, if we're harboring resentment? The Buddha's words that I'm sure all of you know, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone. This is eternal law. So there are those outward expressions, you know, that can really uh, undermine us. You know, you might know, even on a, a small level, what it's like to be kind of eaten away inside by some angry, reactive state. It's difficult. It takes a lot of energy to live with that. And then there are the ways that aversion uh, is expressed or manifested inwardly. You know, maybe the self-judgment or self, that critical awareness. Maybe guilt. When we see how we have caused harm in our lives. You know, it's a very um, easy trap to fall into, to see the ways that we've acted less than skillfully, and then just feel horrible. You know, it can happen when we come to retreat and we get quiet, you know, and we're feeling okay, and then suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, every unskillful thing I ever said (laughs) suddenly comes to mind. 
or, you know, people remember uh, offenses, you know, that they may have caused throughout their lives, you know, subtle ones even. They can come up in the psyche, in the heart, when we sit in silence, when we attend to our hearts so fully. I had a really uh, interesting and sort of striking experience of uh, guilt, although I wasn't aware at first that it was guilt. Uh, Some years back when I sat the three-month retreat in the fall next door, this was a number of years ago, and at that time I had uh, recently uh, come out of a, a a long relationship of several years. And in the end of that relationship, there were ways in which I was being blamed for causing my partner suffering, hurt. And so I came into retreat, and this scenario was kind of running through my head and my heart. (laughs) And at first, for quite a while, I don't remember how many days, but it really felt like a long time. What I noticed was it would come up and immediately my mind would kick into justifying my actions. This is why this and this is why this and just all this justification. And it it took a while first to even just get clear that what was happening was justifying, which in a way I think for me at that time was one of those ways of one of those walls, you know, of blocking, I think, the feeling underneath, which was actually guilt. So after several days of noting, justifying, 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 every time my mind would go to the story, I started to notice what was underneath, you know, this feeling of, oh my gosh, like there's something to this. I acted in ways that caused harm, that caused some suffering to this person. And then there was a really interesting shift. I actually saw pretty quickly, I didn't stay in the guilt. I had stayed in the justifying, which was my form of guilt, (laughs) for quite a while. And then once I saw what was underneath it, it quickly shifted to remorse. Like actually seeing, oh, this, this way of behaving or these things that were said, you know, that caused pain, that caused this person suffering. And to just feel that, to allow myself to feel it, but in remorse, which is so different than guilt, there's the possibility with remorse to kind of let it in, kind of integrate it in one's being the truth of the experience that we may in fact have caused suffering, that that in fact I did, and to learn from it. You know, there wasn't like I made a conscious, verbal, you know, silent in my mind commitment, but in my heart there was this commitment to not cause that kind of harm again. You know, there was awareness and I could learn from it. And that's so different than guilt. You know, in guilt, we're just sort of whipping ourselves. In remorse, there's an acknowledgement, a recognition, 
and we move on. As soon as I felt that shift of seeing what was underneath the justification and then feeling genuine remorse, the whole thing lifted. It was gone. It's so interesting how that works in practice. Something can kind of churn away, churn away, churn away, and we do our best to pay attention to it, do our best to show up. And then at a certain point, we can see or feel our way into it on another level, and it passes. So forgiveness is not a one-time thing. You know, it's not that we can review a situation in our life and choose forgiveness and then be done. (laughs) Done with it. I really think of it uh, much more as a process, an ongoing uh, form of relating to our pain. It's not a should. It's not something we should do, that we should cultivate. Really, I'm offering it this evening uh, more in the sense of one of those stones for walking across the water. And don't worry. There's other stones. <laughs> so if this one feels like it's too slippery, it's too dangerous, just step over it. Use the other stones to cross the water. The other stones, such as, you know, mindfulness, <laughs> investigation, equanimity, patience, Wisdom, kindness or metta, compassion. They're there. When I was a teenager, I did a little bit of babysitting, as I think a lot of teenage girls do anyway. And I remember um, this one house where I sometimes would babysit, and they had an interesting bookshelf. Unfortunately, I can't really remember (laughs) which book it was, but I remember looking at, like, Whitman's, you know, Leaves of Grass, I think it's called, and other authors, and, you know, jotting things down that really stood out for me. And one of them I remember to this day that I had written down, And I thought it was Whitman, and I actually, in order to verify that for you, (laughs) searched online and could not verify it. So I don't really know who said this, but it could have been Whitman. (laughs) But the, the quote is, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. I just remember being so struck with that. And I love it to this day because, A, you know, it's about nature, not people. (laughs) So that's easier. But B, 
it really has that selfless quality in it. It's just being a violet. It's not forgiving the heel because it knows the heel didn't mean it or, you know, that the heel's having a troubled day on its own. It's just being a violet. And so when it's crushed, it smells like a violet. It, you know, gives off that fragrance. And I think that, you know, this is what we're doing here. We're turning into violets, (laughs) or whatever flower you prefer. (laughs) We're revealing our violet nature. And so when we're confronted with challenges, with pain, you know, whether it's the ways that we bring suffering upon ourselves, through our habits and our patterns, or the ways that others hurt us. We are who we are. And over time, more and more of that sweet flower that we are. It's the nature of our hearts, the way it's the nature of a violet to smell sweet. It's the nature of our hearts to be open, to be inclusive, to be expansive. It's their nature. And it's also their nature to close. So if you feel like exploring this practice, you know, reflecting on the qualities of forgiveness, considering it as a possibility, whether it's self-forgiveness, forgiveness of others. I invite you to recognize the incredible power in even the intention to forgive. It's very powerful. And to remember that it's a process. It's gradual. You know, those walls, those barriers that we construct, they don't always go up right away. You know, maybe they've gone up over time. (laughs) And so we also need to sort of give it time to relax again, to open, to allow life to touch us more deeply. Sharon Salzberg, I think, has a lovely way of saying in her book, Loving Kindness, something about the challenge of forgiveness. She says, it is much more difficult to forgive than not to forgive. Political leaders seem to rely on this fact It may be much easier to unite people with a bond of common hatred than with shared love. It's not so easy to access that place inside of us which can forgive, which can love. Remember, to be able to forgive is so deep a letting go that it's a type of dying. We must be able to say, 
I am not that person anymore. And you are not that person anymore. A type of dying. So I'd like to spend the next few minutes actually offering a bit of a guided meditation on forgiveness. So if you feel inclined, please uh, join me in it. And if it feels like too dangerous of a rock, of a stone, too slippery, too scary, just let the words wash over you. Just be with hearing the sound of my voice, the sound of the thunder in the distance. Be with your body sitting here in this moment. The practice of forgiveness is done in three parts. The first is asking forgiveness of those that we have harmed. The second is offering forgiveness to those who have harmed us. And the third is offering forgiveness to yourself. So just take a moment before we begin to find some settledness, some comfort in your body. Shift if you need to. Just see if you can get comfortable and fairly relaxed in sitting here. You might Let your attention rest in the heart center, just aware of the movement of breath in that area of your body. If I have hurt or harmed anyone, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for forgiveness. Let whatever images or scenarios come up in your mind to be seen. See if there's any feeling of guilt. See if you can release that. Just let go. I ask your forgiveness. And then extending forgiveness to those who have harmed us. If anyone has hurt 
or harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly. I forgive them. Or perhaps I forgive you. as you sit with what comes up. And finally, forgiveness towards ourself for our shortcomings, the ways in which our hearts may be closed, for the patterns of suffering that may still be at play in our hearts or minds, for all the ways I've hurt or harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I offer forgiveness. I offer forgiveness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.